This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Gary Borger has written a fascinating book titled, The Angler as Predator. One of the points he makes is that we have this mystical, romantic notion of fly fishing, but this is what Gary writes. Fly fishing is anything but a mystical experience. It is simply a predator-prey relationship in which the predator has defined a set of rules by which to engage the prey. Well, that is today's topic. Dave, I watched you stalk a couple of rising fish in Fan Creek in Yellowstone National Park a few months ago. You predator, you. And you, you caught them, uh, amazingly. <laughs> no, seriously, what, what, what made that work? And what are some of the, the kinds of behaviors that, that give trout fishers, uh, fly fishers, a higher rate of success when they're, when they're stalking a trout kind of in predator mode? Well, I should just begin by saying the day following uh, our day in Fan Creek, we were at another creek in which it almost didn't matter if you stalked them. I mean, they were hitting grasshoppers, and the the creek was probably just slightly bigger. It wasn't that much bigger. And the runs were a lot better, I would say that. Right. But, um, and so you had just two different streams, and yet... Our day at Fan Creek was much more difficult, and partly because the creek was smaller, a little bit smaller than we fish typically, and it also, there, there was not as many runs. No, there weren't. Then we had that fly fisher that that raced in in front of us. Remember him? He wouldn't well, even I, talk to us. I wondered if he had actually had walked through some of that stuff. I think he did. But yeah. I remember on that particular run, it was a very small run. It was round, kind of around a corner. You could see the creek flow around, and there was there was actually um, was it some mayflies that were yeah. that were mm-hmm. uh, hatching. And um, but I remember thinking. Okay, I'm not going to get a lot of shots today at, at, at a nice little run like this. So I just remember um, kneeling down in the stream, and in the water was coming up to you know over the top of my waist at that point, and and very carefully you know casting my fly. I mean, I think I learned this painfully fishing uh, in southeast uh, Minnesota and southwest Wisconsin, yeah. uh, fishing those spring creeks because you know the runs are not as they're not as deep there's not as many of the runs and so you when you get to a good run you want to make sure that you don't mess it up because it's going to be an hour or so before it recovers yeah that's right so keep low to the ground i mean predators do that uh, you know wildlife uh, you, you watch a, a coyote or or something else and, and that's what they do so keep low to the ground uh, something else that uh, that i think about is that predators are always watching and it just reminds me that it's wise to watch Watch for feeding fish before you cast. At least take the time to see where trout might lie, where there's shelter and food. And, and I have to remember that because I, uh, I, I move quickly and and I, I get to a place and man, I just want to start casting. But but just stopping and and kind of looking, even if you don't see. Sometimes you see fish rise, and that's a real payoff. But even if you don't, just getting a sense of, of the surroundings where you want that fly to land 
land and, and where you want to drift it through the run. Well, what struck me about uh, Gary's book, Gary Borger's book, is if you look at some of the images, even though they're in black and white, you see them peering over um, a little cliff looking into the river. It reminded me of deer hunting almost. Yeah. It was like they were spotting fish and they would spot a big fish and then they would go back. There's a spotter and sometimes the two of them would work together to actually coordinate the cast. And um, so one person is ahead and, and the other one is actually doing the fly fishing. So, you know, the strategy is, is really unbelievable. So this idea of taking the time to think about, okay, where is their shelter? Where's their food? Right. You know, are they rising? Are they yep. moving at all? Um, it's it's basic, but I just typically don't think about that. I know. It's important to stop, isn't it? So what else do predators do? Well, I also think, you know, the whole idea of minimizing sight and sound. And so, you know, there there's this myth about fly fishing, maybe perpetuated by the movie, A River Runs Through It, this idea of false casting, and Gary actually talks a lot about this, but this idea of many, many casts, to, you know, to either dry your fly or to, to get length to your to uh, to your cast, it's just something that, uh, as a fly fisher, you need to minimize. Right. And um, I think it's very, very basic to catching, certainly basic to catching big fish. That's right, yeah. If, if your fly is out of the water all the time, I've, I've never caught a trout in the air. Have you, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I think I have. <laughs> you probably have, haven't you? Oh, I know it. And yeah, speaking of sound, I mean, trout don't hear you talking, but they will detect the compression waves of a sound from a, a thunk when you step too heavily. Uh, they have inner ears on both sides of their head. And I, I remember even in, in grade school doing a report on trout and being fascinated with that lateral line and that that actually plays a a role in their hearing and they they sense sound so you, you have to be careful about that and gary borger also talks about that the worst color to wear is bright white now for years and i have to confess this you know i just wore whatever i purchased at an orvis store or um whatever i had yeah. actually and i didn't really understand the whole idea of camouflage which of course is more like deer hunting or you know bow hunting than it is like right. fishing but um you know depending on where you're fishing um, your colors what you wear ought to reflect the environment yeah, that's right. So earth tones are really important, uh, green or brown or, you know, blue, gray, dark tan, you know, something like that. Yeah, white really tends to stand out. It looks, uh, you know, we, we think blaze orange might be bad, but but I've noticed that even, even when I've used uh, strike indicators, I can see a white strike indicator in the water uh, even easier than I can an orange one. So, yeah, that, that seems like a little thing, but... Uh, but that might make a difference in some streams. And, and you're right, every place is different. I, I know there are times when I fished on Nelson Spring Creek in Paradise Valley in Montana, and, and I swear, those fish see you, and they could care less, but, uh, but they won't hit. You know, if the presentation isn't perfect, they won't hit. So maybe it's not as important what you wear. You know, we're not saying it in every context, but there's a lot of places where, where that's going to make or break it. I think it's a piece of it, I think. Um, and also, as you look at the greens, you know, depending on your clothing, 
what time of year is it, right? If it's in the spring, right. sometimes in the spring, there are no, it's not really green yet. And so it's more brown than it is green. So really looking at, you probably need to have different types of, uh, of, of shirts, different colors, different different types of clothing. I realize that gets expensive, but um, thinking that through, I think it's one piece of the whole in right. catching more fish. Right, it, it is. And you never know what that little adjustment is going to accomplish. Dave, you mentioned size a couple of minutes ago and that's a good reminder to wear polarizing sunglasses Uh, they cut the glare and allow you to see into the water and I remember at least once where I I can credit my success to uh, I I caught a really nice 18 inch brown uh, because of my polarizing sunglasses I was fishing one Sunday afternoon late in the afternoon on the Gallatin River just uh, just about a mile from where I lived and I was I was getting ready to, to cast to a run about 10 feet out in fact thankfully I had snuck up on this but I'm, I'm looking 10 feet out and and I'm kneeling there and and I realized whoa there's I, I see these fins there was a brown big brown cruising in the shallows about two feet in front of me wow and and I wouldn't have seen that fish I'm, I'm convinced if I wouldn't have had my polarizing sunglasses because I, I remember that the light was hitting the water it was uh, you know, bouncing off the water and it was bright. And I, I remember I, I tossed a streamer in front of that guy and and he attacked it. So polarizing sunglasses are helpful too. You know, I think that one of the big ideas here is this idea of moving more slowly up or down the river. There is this tendency to consume fly fishing, right? Like you consume a candy bar or you consume, you know, um, something else in your life. And I think that just prevents you from seeing, from um, anticipating and all those basic things of fly fishing and prevent you from catching, I think, not just many fish, but bigger fish. You know, just recently I was so depressed. I my, took my son to southeast, uh, southeastern Minnesota, but just as we were moving up the river, um, a guy comes down with his dog. Right. So his dog was walking through all the holes and he would use, Hey, how are you doing? And, uh, you know, I, and at that point I said to my son, Corey, I said, let's just leave because, you know, it's going to take a long time before those, uh, those runs recover. But because of his speed, because of his, well, the dog, but just not being thoughtful coming down the, down the Creek, he ruined it for my son and me for the next, well, we had to go to a different hole. So I hate that different river. So the point simply is, you know, I think being thoughtful, moving slowly, thinking of yourself as, as a predator, I think it's a mindset more than even tactical. It's just a mindset. Mm -hmm. Talked about this at the beginning, but fly fishing can have such a, uh, a romanticized notion. Uh, My brother Dave was doing a PhD work over at University of Aberdeen in Scotland back in the late 90s and he had an opportunity to fish on the grounds of Balmoral Castle and uh, he had a guide, uh, a ghillie and uh, Dave said that that this ghillie would carry his waders and his rod from you know they would walk from one hole to uh, the other and I mean it it just you you think of that image it's like well did he have a cup of tea there too just this 
this leisurely, gentlemanly sport. But you're right. You really do have to get into the mindset of a predator because if you don't, you're going to spook fish. You know, that's yeah. the bottom line. You're going to spook fish and you're not going to have that opportunity. Well, that'll do it for today. If you have any thoughts about how to stalk trout, we'd love to have you share them with us. Please go to twoguysinariver.com and comment on this podcast link. What makes a fly fisher a successful predator? And also be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And uh, if you have a smartphone, we'd love for you to download a podcast app and subscribe to our feed. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Fly fishing.